Chapter 26, Every Little Detail. Grandpa, Grandpa, I won! Mark came hollering while he was still running up the sidewalk. He burst through the door of trash to treasure, still hollering. Congratulations, Grandpa said, coming to meet Mark. I knew you could do it, and he held out his hand to shake Mark's. Mark hurried to set down his school things so that he could receive Grandpa's handshake. First place, he said. I'll get a trophy, and I'll get to go out for pizza during class time. Mark paused, calming himself just a little. Thanks for praying for me, Grandpa, he added. I pray for you every day, Grandpa answered. But did you really pray about the chess tournament? Amy asked. Mark's winning a chess tournament doesn't seem like a very important thing to pray about. No offense, Mark, but there are wars and people starving to, ne to death. You know, big stuff. Well, to tell you the truth, I did pray about the chess tournament, but not exactly that Mark would win, Grandpa explained. I prayed that he would do his best for God's glory and that God would help him to grow through it, whether he won or lost. But it would be wrong to think that God doesn't care about the little tiny details of life. God not only cares about them, he ordains them. What does ordain mean? Mark wanted to know. It means that God determines what will happen and how it will happen. It's really very amazing when you think about it. God's not only working out how everything will turn out in the end, he is also working right now through each little detail in every ordinary life to bring good to his people and glory to himself. Grandpa chuckled. Which is why, in our war story, we know for sure that God's side will win. You're too excited about the tournament to do homework right now anyway. So let me tell you a war story that shows what I mean. Grab a snack while I go get my box. Amy chose pretzels and grapes, and Mark got the crackers and cheese while Grandpa was off getting the story box. Once they were all seated, Grandpa began. Do you know that there's a book in the Bible that never mentions God once? Let me guess, said Amy. Song of Solomon, right? Grandpa shook his head. No. No, said Amy. She thought again. Then what is it? It's the book of Esther, Grandpa answered. Really? Then why is it in the Bible, asked Mark. Because even though it never mentions God, you can see him all through the story. He works out all sorts of ordinary, everyday details to accomplish his plans. This story is the last of our war stories in the Old Testament. That means it's getting very close to the time that the promised child was to be born. So, of course, Satan was beginning to feel desperate. This is the story of one more attempt to wipe out the whole Israelite nation so that the promised baby couldn't be born. Who was Esther? Grandpa asked, turning to Amy. Amy swallowed her bite of pretzel and said, A Jewish girl who became queen. Queen of what? Grandpa turned to Mark. Since he was always eager to supply answers about the early civilizations he had studied last year in fourth grade. Persia, right? Mark answered. Yes, and how did a Jewish girl get to be the queen of Persia? Grandpa asked. Oh, I remember that part, Amy said. The king got mad at his queen because she wouldn't come when he told her to. So he wouldn't let her be queen anymore, and he had to get a new one. So he had this big, well, it's kind of like a beauty contest. 
Esther was one of the girls who came, and the king liked her best, so he made her queen. Good, said Grandpa. Now, did you ever stop to think about why the first queen and the king had their falling out? Or who was it who made Esther so beautiful? Or how it happened that of all those girls, the king preferred Esther? Ordinary, everyday details. A quarreling couple, the way somebody looks, the likes and dislikes of a king, all arranged by God to do what he knew needed to be done. And here comes another ordinary detail. Esther's cousin Mordecai had raised her because her parents had died. Mordecai worked for the king. He just happened to be standing near two of the king's guards one night and overheard their conversation. These guards didn't like the king, and Mordecai heard them planning to assassinate him. Mordecai told Esther about it, and she told the king. So Mordecai saved the king's life just because he happened to be in the right place at the right time. Who caused that to happen? This little incident was written down in the king's history book. Now you too remember that history book. It's going to be important later. Also in the palace of the Persian king was a nobleman named Haman. <coughs> Haman had the hot, second highest position in all the land. He expected everyone to honor him by bowing down to him, and everyone did, except Mordecai. Whenever Haman walked by, Mordecai was the first person who remained standing, and it made Haman furious. You'd think Haman would be happy with all the honor he had, instead of demanding more. Does that remind you of anyone, by the way? Can you think of anyone else in this war who had the highest honors but couldn't be happy unless he had more? Oh, it's like Satan in heaven back at the beginning of the story, Mark answered. That's right said Grandpa, and that's not the only way Haman was like Satan. Because he was mad at Mordecai, and Mordecai was an Israelite, Haman decided that he hated all Israelites. Getting rid of Mordecai wouldn't be enough for him. He would destroy every last one of the people of God, an idea that must have come from Satan himself. Grandpa stopped. By the way, he said, are you two remembering that history book where the king wrote that Mordecai had saved his life? Don't forget it. So then Haman went to the Persian king, whom history knows as Xerxes I, by the way, Grandpa added for Mark's sake. Mark nodded, not really sure whether that was a Persian king he had studied in school or not. Haman went to Xerxes and offered the king money if the king would let him get rid of all the Jews. Xerxes didn't care. Haman was his friend. And what were a few foreigners more or less? So the king issued a decree that on a certain day all the Israelites, young and old, in all places of his kingdom, were to be killed. Grandpa opened his box and took out a green plastic sword, the kind sometimes used to hold appetizers together. He placed the sword on the box lid. This is where Esther saves the day, Amy said, raising her arm and making a fist in a sign of victory. I love it when girls are the heroes. Don't get ahead of my story, Grandpa pretended to scold. First, she had to struggle with that a little. At first, Esther didn't know that any of this was going on. Mordecai sent, a mess, sent her a message about it and begged her to go to the king and talk him out of it. I can't do that, Esther sent the message back. I haven't been invited. I haven't seen the king for 30 days. He was her husband for crying out loud, Amy protested. But he was the king of Persia, 
Mark replied. You couldn't go see him whenever you felt like it. You had to have an invitation or you couldn't go, no matter who you were. Wasn't there something about a scepter? Amy asked. If the king held it out to you, it was okay, but if not, you were dead. That's right, Grandpa said. So Esther didn't want to go. But Mordecai understood how God works out ordinary details to get his plans done. It was God who placed a Jewish girl on the Persian throne right before the king gave this terrible order. Maybe you've become queen for such a time as this, he told Esther. So Esther, scared to death, went to see the king without an invitation. What if the king were in a bad mood? She had no way of knowing. She just went, hoping God would work out the ordinary detail of what mood the king was in. And God did. When the king saw Esther, he was delighted. He held out his scepter and asked her what she wanted. I'll give you half my kingdom, he told her. Just come to a special dinner I'm making for you, was Esther's answer. And bring Haman with you. Grandpa stopped again. You're, you're still remembering that history book, aren't you? He asked. The children nodded. At dinner, Esther only asked that Haman and King Xerxes come again to another banquet the next night, Grandpa continued. She promised she'd tell the king then what she really wanted. Haman left Esther's banquet walking on air. He was the king's favorite. He must be the queen's favorite. Everything was perfect for him. But then he saw Mordecai, and guess what he was doing? Not bowing, Mark answered. Grandpa nodded. Haman went home almost in tears. I don't care how much I have or how much I'm honored, he complained to his wife. How can I possibly enjoy it when that Mordecai will never bow to me? Don't be silly, his wife said. Just get rid of him. Do it now. Build yourself a gallows. Then, first thing in the morning, go ask the king to let you hang Mordecai on it. You know the king will do whatever you want. Happy again, Haman built his gallows and went to bed. That same night, King Xerxes couldn't sleep. He tossed and turned, but it was no use. Grandpa pretended to think. Who is it that gives you that gives people a good night's sleep, I wonder? He said. God, of course, said Amy. Well, God didn't let Xerxes sleep that night, so Xerxes called for someone to read something that would put him to sleep. What book do you think he asked for? I know, I know, Mark cried. It was that history book, wasn't it? That's why you wouldn't let us forget it. Grandpa nodded, and the reader just happened to read the story of how Mordecai had saved the king's life, an ordinary, everyday occurrence, choosing which story to read. That story reminded Xerxes that nothing had been done to reward Mordecai. So, just as the sun was coming up and Haman was coming in to ask for permission to hang Mordecai, Xerxes asked him, saw him and asked how he should honor someone who deserved a great reward. Who could he possibly be thinking of but me, Haman thought. So he gave the king many wonderful ideas of how to honor this person. Great, said the king. Go do all that you have just said to Mordecai. Haman was horrified, but he had to do it, and he couldn't ask to hang Mordecai now. And that night at Esther's banquet, 
Haman was even more horrified to learn that Queen Esther was a Jew, one of the people he was planning to kill. When the king learned from Esther how evil Haman was, he wanted him killed immediately. There's a gallows out there, one of the servants said. Hang Haman on it, the king roared. So Haman was hung on the very gallows he'd built for Mordecai. As for Mordecai, he was given all Haman's riches and was promoted to fill his old position. And of course, the people of God were not wiped out after all. That's because God is the one directing all the ordinary details of everyday life so that, so that what he wants to be done happens. Grandpa removed the sword and put a little figure of a queen in its place. Psalms 33, 10 through 12. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen, heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance.